This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. My name's James Manning. I'm the editor of Media Week. Joining me today, we're going to be talking TV with Ian Colley. Uh, producer extraordinaire. Welcome, Ian. <laughs> Thank you, James. <laughs> You've got a long list of credits. Now, we're going to talk mainly about Jack Irish today, yep. but if you'll allow me, I'll go a little bit off um, off script and we'll yep. talk about some of your other projects because you've, you've done some amazing work in the past. You're doing some interesting stuff as well now, so we'll, yep. we'll cover all that. But tell us about Jack Irish. Now, is this Jack Irish season two? There seem to have been a lot of them so far for only season two. Yeah, no, it's a funny old thing. We're, we're calling it season two, but the the... the the CV of Jack Irish to date is we did three telly movies, um, which were based on the three books of Jack Irish by Peter Temple, uh, and then we did a whole six-part series. So that became season one, which was um, to do with Battle of Faith and things like that. And this season is season two. So, uh, but it's essentially Jack Irish. That's the brand name. Yeah. Okay. And of course, we Guy Pearce is very um, is associated intrinsically with this course, playing the lead role. Now he's done that in in all of them, hasn't he? Yeah. No. It'd be pretty hard to <laughs> recast him now, I think. And and also, Guy just loves the role, which is great. So you know, because he's a very in-demand actor, as we know, both internationally uh, on films and TV programs, but he loves coming back here. I think uh, he used to play, you know, AFL or, or you know, Australian football in his youth, and um, you know, he's got a bit of a connection to some of the character of Jack Irish in some way. You know, the old Melbourne connection, and he he loves that, and obviously, the, the stories and the scripts by. Andrew Nike, Matt Cameron and others, you know, sort of gel with him. So it's great. Sure. Now, what's the – now, you run your own production company now called Easy Tiger. That's right. Is that who produces Jack Irish now? That's right. So, Because I'm thinking through its history there's been a couple of different iterations of production companies. No, just the one own. production company, which okay. was Essential Media. All right. So I've been with Essential – or had been, I should say, past tense <laughs> now, uh, for 10 years. Right. And um, that's where the, the telemovies in the first season, Jack mm-hmm. Irish, was produced. <clears throat> and um, since uh, October last year, the drama section of Essential Media was sold off and has been uh, formed into a new company called Easy Tiger Productions. So that's who's producing this season of Jack. Right, okay. So coincidentally, Essential's also been sold in that's the right. as well, hasn't it? So uh, essential has no shame. It's selling companies. itself left, right and centre. <laughs> um, but Essential was an amalgam of, I suppose, three different genres being factual, documentary, drama, which was the area that I was heading, and kids TV, which Carmel Travis was. So basically, once we sold the drama, the factual arena has now been sold to a Canadian company called Q Media. So yeah, it, it's, you know, it's um, it's like Phoenix rising again. It's sort of, uh, you know, it's new spots. It's also, you know, I've done a joint venture of Quail Media, but that's in the factual entertainment sort of documentary area. Okay. Now you're a producer on the show. There's yep. also a, a, a few executive producers. I think, look, we, we don't call them executive Produced where there's three producers on this show. Okay. So it's myself and the the writer producers, which is Matt Cameron and Andrew Knight. So Andrew and I have been producing it since the beginning, and um, Matt has come on. I mean, Matt has been a writer, and he took a more sort of producer hands-on role in the second season of Jack. He's very talented. I'm going to be a separate interview, I think, eventually with Andrew Knight. But he's a very talented guy, isn't he? He's reasonably talented. <laughs> <laughs> He's okay. Well, you know, sorry, he, de- he delivers on are. time, and so that's why I keep working with him. <laughs> you've taught him everything. You know, I've taught him all the tricks. So, um, And you've worked on him with some other projects as well, haven't you? Yeah, you know, look, I mean, the two obvious ones are Jack Irish and Rake, 
So Rake is uh, Andrew Knight and Peter Duncan, and we've got, I'll do a little, you know, um, uh, what do you call it, um, pitch here for <laughs> Rake, because it will follow Jack Irish on ABC, which will be the fifth season of Rake. But yeah, Andrew Knight is the co-writer with Peter Duncan for all five seasons of that fella. Wow. So, okay, let's get back on to Jack Irish. Now, mm-hmm. Guy Pearce, how did you first get Guy Pearce interested? Because he's he's been a pretty big Hollywood star for a long time now, hasn't he? And he was when you first pitched him, I guess, uh, Jack Irish. Yeah, I mean, look, um, Matt Cameron had a bit of a connection with him. I think they had done, they'd certainly done a play called Poor Boy uh, and he had a good connection. Uh, but it was also still at that time, it was the, you know, the early days of peak TV, as we now call it, you know, the golden age, where there was still quite a divide between film and TV. And um, certainly Guy was known as a film actor. So it wasn't as cool then to do TV as I, it is I, I now, think that's right. I mean, now, to, you know, everything's changed, isn't it? The whole <laughs> landscape has changed. It's different. TV is, you know, king, I think you could say to some degree. Sure. Um, but... But Guy had done an HBO one, uh, Mild- Mildred Pierce, I think, if I'm right, with Kate Winslet. Yes. So um, so anyway, look, we just thought he'd be brilliant. We thought it's worth a go. We approached him and he just, you know, responded so positively to the script material that he came on and, you know, sort of became easy. I mean, in a sense, Jack Irish, if you read the books, he's the son of a, um, you know, an AFL legend. And there's always a bit of sort of fun and humour in it that, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of a, the rump of a family. He was a failure at footy. But we, I think he was always a sort of taller, bigger man as a full forward in AFL or VFL as it was. Um, and Guy is obviously not a, a tall man, but it wasn't long before he just inhabited the role. And, you know, every time I read the script, all I hear is Guy's voice. You know, he has become Jack Irish. So, you know. And, and Peter Temple, you know, who's the author of the Jack Irish novels, uh, was thrilled that guy came on and so you know it was it was a win-win for all of us really now i don't know how much you want to tell me about this but when when guy pierce would get a lot of money for making a movie yep does does because he knows the way the business works in australia does he know if he accepts this yep. he's probably going to have to do it for less than than he could be earning elsewhere look at look i'm or not do you need to go through that whole negotiation well we go for, obviously through his agent and to be honest yeah. i don't know what he gets for his films um, but we, you know, inevitably he's a huge marquee star for us in terms of selling, particularly overseas, obviously attracting good audience to the ABC as well. So, you know, for, I suppose, so what you might call an A-list star, you sort of know roughly what the, the market rate will be. It'll be, this, you know, not the same, but it's, it, it's like having Richard Roxborough's rake, you know, obviously once they're the central characters and you know that that's going to attract a big audience, you know, you have to find the right sort of remuneration that sort of fits. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it, these days if there's much difference between what he'd get on a film per week as what he'd get on a TV thing. Maybe it's with a big blockbuster, you know, but most of the big blockbuster now are the sort of Marvel comic, DC comic sort of stuff, and Guy hasn't shown um, whether he's been approached, I don't know. I don't think he's done any sort of um, movies of that ilk. And otherwise, you know, movies are quite low budget because it's really hard to finance movies in that mid-range as they once were. So I would have thought that's fairly comparable, but, you know, so you're telling I'm only me, second guessing him. So you tell me he still owns a fair bit working hey, for you, look, you know, whether, whether you know, it's here or... I'm not feeling sorry for him, if that's what you mean. No. <laughs> <laughs> but he's worth every cent, so that's the main thing. Right, okay, okay. Um, and are you, as a producer, are you involved? How, how close do you work with that budget? And how critical is, is juggling the dollars to, to fill out a cast? It, look, it's, it's the constant challenge because, you know, something like Jack Irish is not... Um, a cheap production to make. 
there's a number of factors. One, there's a lot of characters. You know, there's ver- you know so many storylines and layers to Jack Irish. So it's got a huge ensemble cast, and you know some of the wonderful cast that we have. Um, you know, both the the leads and the guests, or not the guests, the support. It's a real ensemble cast. So that's always fairly cast heavy. Plus, it's there's a lot of action sequences that involve stunts and things like that. There's a lot of locations. So it's actually, you know, certainly above average in terms of a TV production goes. And, you know, ABC are brilliant. They've been on since the go-get, but of course, get-go, I should say. But they are also, you know, struggling with funding cuts, as we're all aware of, and have a smaller budget in terms of drama. So, you know, we, we get there, but it's, it's, it's a challenge sometimes trying to raise the finance, but that's okay. That's what I'm there for. Yeah, because there's, uh, there's amazing cast. You've got Marta Dusseldorp's in there, uh, yep. Daniel uh, Cormack and Aaron Peterson, fresh from his uh, star turn in uh, Mystery Mis- Road. Indeed. You, have you seen that? I haven't seen it. It's on my um, well, what it called, IQ got, or whatever. Yeah. I've got to tell you. But it's, it's, it's fantastic. Well, it's been getting such good reviews and rating well for ABC. So. And that final episode, man, oh, man. Uh, Roy Billing, Shane Jacobson. Yep. There's not much that doesn't get made without Shane Jacobson in there, but he's obviously a good marquee name to have. It was great to see John Flouse in the um, the. I'm an old film buff. I'm from Melbourne. Right. So it was, um, you know, I grew yeah. up well listening to John Flouse talk about movies and stuff like that. So yeah. it's uh, great to see him still going around. And, yep. and he still looks, he still looks exactly though he did 30 years ago. Yeah. How, no. does, he, how does he manage that? Oh, look, it's, it's a sheer delight to have John and Terry Norris on board. Yep, Terry um, you know, part of the Fitzroy Youth Club. <laughs> and um, sadly, Ron uh, passed away. Okay. But Ron's. Surname, so yep, um, yep. My, my apologies here. But he passed away, uh, was it last year or may, may have been the year before? So we actually made that a storyline as part of a Fitzroy Youth Club okay. where the, the three old fellas were at the Prince of Prussia, you know, this ungentrified sort of pub, the last one in <laughs> Melbourne, dearly hanging on to, you know, things of the things of the past, including their football club, Fitzroy, in fact, Fitzroy hadn't been in the uh, AFL, you know, competition for a long time now. And um, they wouldn't give up the bar stool, so it was sort of there as memorial <laughs> for uh, for Bron. So, um, and uh, you know, then it, basically Damien Garvey, who plays Stan, who's the barman, uh, sort of says, "We've got to get a replacement here." So they start auditioning for you know the Fitzroy Youth Club, who will replace Bron. So anyway, it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the um, I've I've seen part of the first one, and I don't, certainly won't give any spoilers because I haven't <laughs> finished it yet. But um, it, there's a opening shot. It's, now was that in India? That's right. Yeah. So did, did, was that actual? Did anybody oh, have yes. to go and do that? No, we we that, uh, we went so to some, India. Some so the scenes actually done. So there were there three and, day shoot. You know, we uh, obviously with a limited budget, there was yeah. only so much we could film there. But we filmed three days in Mumbai and on the outskirts of Mumbai, okay. which was a sheer delight. We'd done a similar thing in the previous season, season one, where we filmed in Manila and also down the, the south of Manila as well. Um, for that particular season. So, you know, I think we've always, even though Jack Irish is all about old Melbourne and this fairly sort of parochial community, we also want the bigger outside world that's sort of closing in on Jack's sort of, you know, small environment sort of thing. And so the in this case, it's a particular mystery that Jack is investigating concerning an international student who was a courier who had um, uh, been a regular... A courier of objects, lost objects of Jack's, and it was sort of fun games between him and Linda, the Martel Dusseldorp character. And this guy, Eddie, the courier, uh, was eventually found dead down a, a mining hole. 
and Jack, in that sort of his usual way, it's a niche that he can't let go. He wants to know, you know, how Eddie ended up there and leads, leads him down the rabbit hole of this, you know, very labyrinthine sort of mystery investigation, which includes going over to India. Yeah. The... Um and I was watching it, and I and there's something early on which certainly wakes up the viewer, and I, I actually shrieked. And so, oh, good! Somebody, no, that's, that's a right response. Somebody ran into the room and said, "What are you watching?" You know, and I said, "Well, this is great. I've, I've got to watch it. I'm speaking to the producer Ian tomorrow." Yeah. But that's, wow, it's a, um, it's a, it's a compelling start. So I'd urge anybody to, um, to to get in there and watch it. it now, how many episodes in this? So six episodes. Six episodes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. And is it is it the one story that that follows on, or are they all self-contained? No, or? it's a, it's it's a one story. It is a sort of series narrative over you know these six episodes. Yep. So um, there's a number of sub stories. There's a horse racing corruption story with okay. good old Roy Belling and Aaron Pedersen as usual. Cam and Harry back <laughs> on the stakes there, where uh, Ricky Kirsch, who's his nemesis from a previous Jack Irish telly movie, comes back on, who's you know causing havoc on the racetrack, and Harry and um, Cam decide you know Ricky's got to be uh, run off, you know. Uh, run off the track again. Uh, there's, you know, a story concerning Stan and Cherry Blossom, his Chinese wife, and an immigration story. And then there's a, a bigger sub-story which bleeds into the um, the general uh, main narrative, which concerns international students. And I mentioned Eddie, who is part of it, who are going missing. And they're at a one of these sort of uh, private educational institutions, which are sort of exploiting international students with, um, you know, high um, student rates and poor accommodation and so on and so forth. And they're eventually tied into clinical medical research which is being conducted. So it's a, it's, it's a big canvas, but we're looking at issues to do with um, uh, Big Pharma, you know, the pharmaceutical corporations and this research on a new antidepressant drug as well as sort of educational institutions for international students. So sort of those two broad areas sort of overlap and weave into the, the cover-up and conspiracy um, so tell us, were there any challenges during the shoot for you? Did you sort of, you know, weather interfere or um, did you have to stop the, with cast called away to other projects or publicity tours they sort of had to do with it? You had to work around oh, looking like that? Look, you're always juggling those things, especially with the cast as the ones you just mentioned there. You know, Shane, for example, was doing publicity for his new film, um, which he'd done with you know, his, his brother, brother Clay. That's yeah. right. So and and his father Ron, who had been you know in Jack Irish and previous <laughs> telly movies, um, and you know there's always you know someone like uh, Damon Garvey who's playing Stan. I think was doing anyway. He, he was certainly on another show. Uh, he had Martha's Daniel, been pretty busy too. Mart has been busy. Martha, you know, of course she had you know Janet King, a place got home. Daniel Cormack was just coming off Wentworth. So you're overlapping a lot with actors, and it's just part of, you know, part of a business. So there's always a juggle of schedule. I don't think apart from that, you know, we had key locations who would know, you know, occasionally you'll have weather which will delay things, but um, we didn't have any injuries. So okay. that was a blessing. Six episodes. Yep. How long, how long a shoot? Uh, general, uh, off the top of my head, generally, it was, so it's six episodes and we divided in what we call blocks, blocks of two episodes. Oh. So we had three directors, Mark Joffa okay. did block one, uh, Kriv Stenders um, did block two, and Fiona Banks did block three. And each block is generally about 15, 16 days off the top of my head. Right, okay, okay. But they, and do they... So there's no filming for anything outside those two episodes in any other 
Like if you had some courtroom that you used in episode one and episode six, would you would you knock it off at the same time? If, it, it depends or? on access and the cost. You know, for example, uh, I think it was Melbourne University. We filmed something there. We only had limited access to it. So um, obviously, if it was a storyline that appeared in let's say ep one and ep six, yes, we do it at the same time. We may even get both directors on. India was a good example. So the um, the scenes which were shot in India, and we shot some of the interior scenes back here in Melbourne, but the exterior scenes, obviously, we wanted to get the colour and movement and the vibrancy that is, you know, Mumbai and India generally. So as well as obviously all the extras and things. So uh, they were cherry-picked from all various, and Creve Stenders was the one who came with us to film uh, in India. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me the... Um with that, now you're the problem solver on the set, I guess, the producer, does that yeah, I mean, it's pretty not, much stop with you? And- oh, look, yes and no. I mean, there's it's, it's always a group effort. It's a collaborative <laughs> thing, as we know, with uh, TV and filmmaking. And I'm one of three producers, as I mentioned, with Andrew and Matt. And there's also a wonderful line producer, Yvonne Collins. So probably in the first instance, Yvonne with her support staff and working with VADs who are the assistant directors, uh, they're the ones who really try and solve for problems. And if it gets to an impasse, I suppose that's when they wheel in, you know, the big cheese, as I sometimes referred to, and hopefully, you know, we can resolve it. But really, once it's in production, my role is really just overseeing and ensuring, yeah, as you said, trouble spotting efforts. Do you need to be there every day? No, No. and and, and to be honest, I can't be there. I'd like to be there, but one, we shoot in Melbourne and I live in Sydney, and two, I run an office in Sydney, and... Also, last year, which is when we shot Jack Irish, I was also in various phases of both Doctor, Doctor, Rake, and even Sunshine, which is oh, OSBS. Wow. So it was a bumpy year last year. So yeah. uh, because you know there's post-production or pre-production on those projects, so they were overlapping a bit. So it was spread a bit thinly, um, but that's great. You know, it's the nature of a beast. This one, this year's a bit quieter, which was good as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess that's one of the things that, um, so you've done a deal with Fremantle yep. with your new production company, Easy Tiger. Yep. Seeing your full slate was obviously an attraction for them. They thought, oh, this guy's pumping out some good stuff. I, yeah, I assume chat, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, uh, Fremantle were our distributors for Doctor Doctor. So we had a, a good, you know, working relationship with them. And when Essential decided to sell they um, expressed interest, but they really only expressed interest in the drama division. That was their focus going forward as a distribution company. Not that they, uh, they I think they were well stocked in terms of their factual um, factual entertainment area. So um, anyway, it was a good fit, and they, you know, myself and Fremantle are now joint owners of this new company. Tell me, with them looking after your programs now, does it mean much for the ongoing life for these shows? I mean, A, globally, and then, you know, what happens to them maybe after the, I guess the ABC has a certain window, does it? Then then it can be purchased by streaming platforms or something? Is that how it works? Yeah, I mean, that's sort of how it works. I mean, in essence, they take the international rights and... Uh, so they're always looking to sell it overseas. I mean, basically a distributor, international distributor, will put up an advance and that advance will be cash flowed into production. That advance could be anything between 5 to 10%, let's say, of the budget and then they'll sell it overseas to recoup that advance and then once the advance is recouped, then you're in what they call a net profit type situation. So they're always selling and obviously the more we can have um, a repeat series is, you know, is gold for distributors. So the fact that Rake, this probably will be the last Rake, but season five is a good innings for Rake. 
um, Dr. Doctor hopefully will continue going on as well. So it all depends, obviously, how well it's rating, really, because in the end, whether it's a, you know, a network like Channel 9 or you know public broadcast like SBS or ABC, they're still fairly ratings-driven. I don't want to get too much into financing because it gets pretty complicated. Yeah. But, but does much get made in Australia without some sort of government um, investment? It seems to me virtually that's one of the key things you need to secure. Look, it is. I, to be honest, I don't think I know of any current or recent TV program that doesn't have some form of government investment. For example, there's an indirect um, government investment through what they call the tax offset. So tax offset is a rebate that comes back to the producers. So you sort of take a loan uh, for the amount of what the offset will be and then the government will basically reimburse that loan through the tax offset mechanism. So that often can get between 15 to 20% for a TV program. For film, it's up around 40% or 35 or 40%. So it's critical. And so, but also you basically reliant on... Not always. Um, if it's a network program, you may not go to Screen Australia, but certainly the public agencies or broadcasters like SBS and ABC are fairly reliant on government funding, um, which will come through Screen Australia, which is the federal agency, or there's various state agencies like Create New South Wales here or Film Victoria. It seems it's sort of good times and bad times to be a producer, maybe. I mean, good times, obviously, because people like you are thriving. There's a lot of good drama around, a lot of good drama being made. But bad times because commercial networks seem to be commissioning less. And and maybe, I'm, and I'm not blaming them, but I'm thinking, well, they're, they're finding it harder to sell to their audiences for, for lots of different reasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the Good Doctor's one of the exceptions, but there's, there's not a lot of local drama being commissioned for commercial TV, is there? Oh, well, it still is because they have a quota that they're obliged to... They have a quota that they're obliged to, um, uh, you know, um, check off, you know, each year. And drama like Dr. Dr. for Channel 9 is working well. But look, you know, drama is perhaps not the golden child it once was in terms of ratings for um, the networks. And that's partly because our viewing habits have changed. You know, we've got the great disruptor in Netflix and, of course, Amazon and various other SVODs, you know, Stan as well. So there's so much as a consumer. It's, it's gold at the moment. There's so much to watch. As a producer, the competition is really hard. And there's a lot competition, especially for talent. So one, a lot of our wonderful talent are being lured over to the UK or the US. Uh, and so it's finding the next tier of talent because they're booked up a long way ahead. So that's a challenge in itself. Uh, and then both, whether it's the networks or, um, you know, ABC, SBS, you know, they're both sort of struggling a bit in terms of funding. You know, advertising income for the networks is not as great, particularly for drama as it once was. Mm. So, yeah, that are challenges ahead is, is, is financing these wonderful TV programs because certainly the output and the quality of Australian TV drama, I think, is, you know, at, is, is still very high. Are there um, any Ian Colley-produced uh, programs we can see on Netflix? Uh, well, Netflix has picked up... Netflix Australia has picked up Jack Irish and Rake and The Principal, which is an SBS one. Oh, yes. Um, uh, and I think Sunshine, I'm, I can't be totally... No, well, Sunshine's still on SBS On yes, Demand, so it probably wouldn't be that, but maybe yeah. later. Uh, and overseas, they picked up uh, Rake. And then there's a SVOD in the US called Acorn, which shows a lot of um, Australian drama. So they show everything from A Place Called Home to Doctor Doctor to Jack Irish, 
Um, so that's also a, a great platform. Yeah. Let's run through some of some of the, your other great work um, now. So, Doctor Doctor, the is this season three? Season three, three. Yeah. Okay, and you're in production now, are you? That's right, but roughly about halfway through. Okay, a ten and, ten episode yeah, season and again. Nine will screen that later this year. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. Do are you ever still making that when they start it? Or so, do you, are you ever still producing the final episodes when a season might start? Oh, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, so there is a bit of an overlap sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know when it will go to air. We we finished a shoot early August, so we're certainly in post-production. Probably we've finished the shoot as such, but, of course, we're still continuing editing and post-producing when we go to air. So, it's you know, it's a quick, pretty quick turnaround we have to because, obviously, if it's gone to air, we've got to make sure we keep churning it out. Sure. Now, that's filmed down in Victoria? No, no, Dr. Doctor is is filmed in New South Wales. Okay. Uh, We film on the outskirts of uh, Sydney called Cobberty, where there's this beautiful um, property, which doubles up for our fictional town of Wyhope. But we also go to Mudgee. So Mudgee is, you know, where we get the the wonderful shots of the sort of classic sort of Aussie country town. You get some great um, either sunrises or sunsets. That's right. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. They're usually sunrises, I guess. Yeah, I think sunrises and, you know, there's always a few... Horses or cattle in the paddock, you know, it's classic sort of, you know, uh, Arcadia. Yeah. Um, Rake. Now, you said I love the way you say, look, it might be the last season of Rake. You never know. <laughs> no, look, I think we, we've made a fairly definitive um, decision to now um, call it quits. It's, it's five seasons. It's been a wonderful ride. This fifth season, which will go to air, I believe, around August, September, um, hopefully, I think, following Jack Irish. Uh, is, you know, it's a, it's a fun last season. But, you know, like a lot of these shows, you've got to know when to say enough, you know, hang up the boots, so to speak. Sure. And it's when the storylines start thinking, what else can we do? You know, how much more juice can we milk out of these relationships? Because <laughs> a lot of them are relationship drama, even though Rake is ostensibly about the law and a satire on the law and in the case of uh, this current season about politics. It's still the relationship that Cleaver Green has with his family and his friends and his colleagues and, you know, his advers- adversaries, which are, you know, the joy of what the show is about. Um, so tell me, how crazy is it on the set of Rake? I mean, you look at Rake and you think, I'm sure they plan a lot of this, but to sometimes spontaneous, weird and, you know, wacky stuff happen while you're filming? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of it's still scripted, but (laughs) but Richard, you know, does have some creative licence to (laughs) ad lib and finesse. And, you know, of course, they're always doing about two or three takes. And he and and you know his um, the other actors on set do like to give something a bit different, and it may actually be a nuanced thing or just a, a performance thing, which you know gives it a different spark or a different turn. And you know, I mean, there's always a lot of fun, but you know, being professionals, they wait till the, the cameras <laughs> stop before the belly laughs come out. But you know, there's some great bloopers that have come out. Have of you break. ever put together a blooper reel? Yeah, no, I think we, we certainly have. And I believe on our DVDs, there might be you know in the oh, okay. extras, we've had a few blooper oh, so inclusions. Be to watch so out for if you get a DVD, indeed, right. a DVD, of course, getting a bit old school now. I know, <laughs> but uh, there we go. Um, but yes, yeah, so we certainly had some blooper reels. I think on Jack Irish as well. So. Cast. I mean, some of the cast obviously you're very familiar with the show, but if you've got a guest on who's maybe hasn't seen a lot of it and <laughs> they read what they're going to be doing, do they, is there some funny feedback and going, you sure? Yeah, well, look, um, you know, I think Rake started out because of some of our, uh, I suppose, you know, 
guest casting and some very big names, you know, from Hugo Weaving to Sam Neill to Rachel... Um, Rachel Griffiths. Thank you, Rachel yep. Griffiths, to even Kate Blanchett, you oh, know. Wow. So we've had some wonderful <laughs> special, you know, casting going on there. And I think basically... Partly because a lot of them know Rich and they know about Rake, so perhaps it's less a surprise. What's the surprise is often the roles we've asked them uh, to do, such as with Sam Neill, where you know he had to play a, a certain type of character who's involved in a three-way with a family dog, and that was <laughs> a bit challenging for a man who also sells uh, or does ads for dog food, which was a beautiful irony we found out. But um, there we go. That's sort of fun, part of the fun games that is Rake. Okay, and um, and sorry, has that is that in production yet? So no, we're we've filmed and we're, we've delivered. Oh, okay, uh, we're just in the final throws of delivering to ABC. Is that eight apps. Uh, eight apps. Sorry, eight eps, yep, yep, that's right. There okay. always been eight. So um, yes, and again, that'll go to air. I think roughly around August, September. Okay, and um, we can expect um, Cleaver Green to be. Um out there again. And, indeed, um, indeed. He's up to his, you know, usual mischief and stuff. <laughs> the, the maverick, the sort of, you know, the, the, the butterfly and the, and the chaos theory who flaps his wings and everything, you know, goes all right. Um, and the beauty of this, at the end of uh, season four, he, you know, mistakenly sort of got into the Senate as an independent. So we basically take up that role now where he's, um, you know, uh, is, is an independent senator being pushed and pulled between the various parties and Cleaver being the opportunist that he is, you know, makes some good and some bad decisions. Uh, it's an interesting strategy he employs, isn't it, to, to get through life. And um, But working in the, the TV business, does it, does it ever sort of um, mirror sort of things that, you know, real life? Oh, I don't, I don't think so much in the production business. We're pretty sort of, you know, stable, you know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, um, one of your more interesting things was uh, Sunshine. Yep. Made for SBS uh, last year and screened last year, is that right? Or That's right, screened last year. Or? And actually last night we were up for three nominations at the Monte Carlo TV Festival, which was okay. a bit of an honour. Alas, we didn't get the gong, right. but it was great to be nominated. You know, it was amongst Fargo, Howard's End, some really sort of top-line programs. So, um, yeah, that was a, a, a wonderful program we made for SBS, a real joy to make. Yeah, yeah, and no, look, I watched that. It was wonderful stuff. I'm, I, I'm, I was, as someone who's sort of is a bit of a ratings uh, nerd and follow right. these things, it was disappointing it perhaps didn't get a bigger audience. But, yep. but, um, but how, how do you feel about stuff like that? Do you, oh, look, you know, look. Do you, do you, I guess you understand that when you go into it, look, it's you, SBS, you, it's not that, That's right. It. I mean, you know, we, you always want bigger ratings. But in the end, particularly with the catch-up on SBS On Demand, the, the ratings were, was, I think, the second most watched program for a while on yeah. SBS behind Handmaid's Tale, Handmaiden's Tale. So, um, you know, it, it got a really good response and, of course, won the Actor Award for Best Miniseries. So the, the, the reviews, the awards, yes, you'd like more ratings, but look, SBS, you know, you go, go in eyes wide open, you're not going to get the sort of... Um, what do you call it, ratings that we get, uh, say, on Dr. Doctor sure. for an SBS show. So that's just the reality of the broadcaster and the forum that you're working with. And as I said, you know, because people are just not watching drama as event TV, <coughs> in, con in, in contrast to, say, you know, reality shows or sport, you know, where you really want to watch it at the time, otherwise, you know, you may as well move on. People watching drama at their own time. You know, you asked me about Mystery Road, and yes, I'm keen to watch it. I'm just getting through another program and then I'll watch Mystery Road. And that's how I think we all consume TV now. 
we don't watch it as event TV, appointment TV. You know, we watch it in our own time because we can. Sure. Yeah, that, that's one of the, the challenges I find. I mean, there's lots of things you want to watch. Are you you sound like you're someone who wants to watch a, a show all the way through before you start another one, where I try and juggle, but um, someone else in my family refuses to do that, and it, it makes it hard to sort of fit everything in. Yeah, look, I'm probably a bit like you. I might, might have about three programs <laughs> on the go, and, you know, I watch, but I'll still do that mini binge where I might watch the first three apps, and then, you know, the following night I might want to watch something lighter. You know, so I've been flipping between Killing Eve and the assassination of Johnny Versace, wow. and then I've yep. uh, been watching one or two docos because the docos on Netflix, you know, a brilliant staircase. I think it's just about to start there or has started, which is great. So, you know, you, I think it also depends on your mood and who, who you're watching TV with. Um, yeah. Let me ask you about Sunshine. I'm, I'm terrible at judging these sort of things, but would Sunshine have a much lower budget than, let's say, Doctor Doctor? I'd, yeah. Look, it's lower, but I wouldn't say much lower okay. because basically, you know, cast crew rates tend to be much the same. So there's no allowance for... The, no. You can't go to someone... No, not at all. ..and say, you know, we're, this is for SBS. You know, and we had two... In, uh, Sunshine, a lot of the cast were from uh, South Sudanese community who were terrific, so they weren't known actors, so you're probably not paying a huge price for them. But then, of course, we got Anthony LaPaglia and Melanie Linsky who were both two well-known actors and, of course, paying quite a bit more, which inevitably, you know, whether it's SBS, it doesn't matter who it is, they want, you know, at least one or two well-known names because that's part of a marketing and selling proposal where people say, ah, okay, if it's got Anthony LaPali, I'll give it a good look. So that's, you know, why you're always going to have a top-notch cast. I think the only difference, really, say, between a Doctor Doctor and a Sunshine is Doctor Doctor we're filming out at Mudgee and the costs of taking cast and crew to Mudgee is what adds to a budget. Okay, okay. One of your other um, series was also for SBS, and again, it was another cracker, uh, The Principal. Yep. It was, that was a stunning uh, piece of TV. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about working on that. Oh, look, it was... Um, SBS were, hadn't done drama, I think, for about one or two years, and they decided to get back into the drama, and which they're doing now. And so Principal sort of kick-started it, and it was a, a success both for us and for SBS to get, you know, such a wonderful positive response to this four-part mini. So SBS at the moment are generally looking for these self-contained four-part mini-series. You know, you've got Deep Water. Um, I think uh, Dead Lucky is about to open after the World Cup. Of course, our Sunshine. So they're all of a similar format. Obviously, it's to do with issues, essentially current issues with multicultural society. And the principle, we... We sort of brainstormed internally, you know, at what was then essential media in terms of, you know, what might work for SBS. But both um, Rachel Turk, who's my development or one of my development producers, and myself had teenage kids at the time who, who weren't doing well at school. And we were sort of both laughing and weeping at <laughs> our, our, our hopeless teens. And But we also looked at the education system, how we felt the education system wasn't working for these two particular teens anyway. And we thought, well, there hasn't been a drama, high school drama, since Heartbreak High. I mean, Puberty Blues sort of covered that younger generation, but it wasn't really what you would call a, a high school drama. So th that was sort of the genesis of the idea. And then a sort of crime drama came out of it to, you know, to uh, sort of heighten the stakes, particularly to keep people in for a four-part series. Alex Dimitriadis had the title role, of course, and he yep. really owned that, didn't he? Oh, he was fantastic in it. And won Logie, I think, if I'm right, um, 
justifiably so. And um, he went over to France for the TV festival called Serie Mania over there and was fated as well because Heartbreak Eye had actually done well in France. Yes. So he was yeah. you know, quite well known and okay. loved his time there. But he, he was just brilliant in the role. And it was, yeah, look, it was one of those, like Sunshine, I mean, they're the two SBS uh, dramas I've done and, you know, they're just such fond, I have such fond memories of making them. Is it hard settling on a lead um, actor? Cause it's, it's probably the... I mean, there's lots of parts, obviously, but it's probably the single most critical almost, or at least it's up there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's always a challenge. It's a, it's a lovely challenge to have <laughs> um, because you sort of want someone who, well, who's really going to inhabit the role, who's going to be perfect for the role, not just because he or she is a well-known face. Sometimes I think, you know, you, you think, oh, not that actor again. You know, we've seen them too much. And it's not to say that actor isn't good. It's just that we've seen their face. Um, they've been, you know, on the screen a lot. So it doesn't perhaps have for freshness that perhaps it had, say, with um, Alex, with the principal where we hadn't seen him for a while in a role. So, um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, the broadcasters want a reasonably well-known face in the lead because, again, that's part of a marketing strategy for them where people can say, oh, okay, if it's got Guy Pearce or Richard Roxburgh, I'll be watching. So you get that. So it's a sort of compromise between art and marketing as it always is. Is it a delicate balance for actors to, I mean, they've got to eat, obviously, and they've got to, as you say, work to keep their profile up, but against that, mm. maybe overdoing it and and maybe, you know, would it be judicial to sit out at times maybe just to not to, to keep it a bit more special, their appearances? Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I think all actors rise to the challenge and love different roles. I think the challenge for an actor is when it's in a repeat series. So, you know, um, whether it's Dr. Doctor or Rake or whatever, in one sense it's regular income and it's a role they love. But particularly if they're starting to become better known overseas and they're starting to get US agents tapping on the shoulder to start auditioning for pilot season over there or in the UK or elsewhere, that's where it gets a, a challenge for them to, to juggle that because they're committed really in this role. Um, and this series could go on for, you know, between four to six seasons each year. So Dr Doctor's been going basically on an annual basis now. And we've got a cast who who are terrific, but it, I suppose it might it might straightjacket them if they wanted to go over to the US. But the flip side is, you know, that's what they buy into. Sure. Have you lost many um, cast to the US in the past? They've said to you, "Look, Ian, I'd love to work with you, mate, but yeah, I, I've just I really don't want to give up this this possible, you know, opportunity or this casting." Um... For regular cast, no. Um, not that I can recall. Mm. So, um, and, and I, I totally understand. I mean, we try and, you know, juggle and schedule around them to try and make it work. Uh, but that's the challenge because there is so much TV drama production going on both locally and internationally. Right. And that's the real challenge. And whether it's for cast or key talent, as I mentioned before, of writers and directors, because of the huge demand and, and we're, such, we're part of a global market now, um, that's where the push and pull comes. And so, but the flip side is that gives an opportunity for an emerging writer or director or, of course, some of these younger actors or emerging actors to come through and get tomorrow's talent, you know. But the broadcasters, some of them can be a bit conservative saying, oh, no, we need, you know, we need Roger Corsa or we need uh, Richard Roxburgh, what if you know familiar faces? And again, I get that because they're the ones that are on the poster, and that's what attracts people to watch in the first place. So sure. um, it's, it's, that's our challenge and it's, it's a lovely challenge. 
Now, before I let you go, and I, I want to ask you about what what you've got coming up in the future, and sort of how many projects you've got in your in your in um, kit bag. Yeah, your kit bag and things that you know you've been maybe wanting to do for a while. Saving Mr. Banks. That little film. Yeah, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Now, for people who don't know that, just re- recap it for us. It was 2013. Well, thank you. I couldn't remember the year. <laughs> but um, look, at uh, Saving Mr. Banks is the story of Pamela Travers, who was the writer of the Mary Poppins books. And she grew up in Queensland. Um, and it was her sort of, um, as a young girl growing up in Queensland, her relationship with her father, who was a bank manager like Mr. Banks in the Disney film Mary Poppins, which intrigued me. And initially I made a documentary about it back in, ooh, about 2002, doing my math. Okay. And um, that was called The Real Mary Poppins, and that was for ABC and sold quite well internationally. But I also saw that... One of your first major projects, was it? Yeah, probably one of my first early... No, I was uh, before I did drama, I did a lot of documentaries, and and that was one of of the documentaries I made. But I could see that this had the potential for a great biopic. Um, particularly because we intercut between her growing up in rural Queensland and working with the Disney team in the making of it. And he drove, she drove, I should say, Disney mad because, you know, she was such a control freak. (laughs) Uh, But you realise that this story is so personal to her and that it was all about redeeming and saving her father, hence the title Saving Mr Banks, who died sadly of alcoholism, but he was a great poet and a lovely man, but a, a flawed parent. And I thought some of those themes are just so rich today. Yeah. So um, so it was a great movie. You know, it was Beginner's Luck, I think, my first feature film. And, you know, got Tom Hanks and um, Emma Thompson on. So I must have, you know, must have done something right in my life. <laughs> that... Um now, was that nominated? It was nominated for a few awards and it won a bit of stuff. It won a few awards. It it uh, and it basically got nominated for most of the awards, but not the Oscars in the end, right, okay. except for music. It did get nominated for soundtrack. It was a bumper year for great films that year. It was Wolf of Wall Street and okay. um, uh, 12 Years a Slave and so on and so forth. So, unfortunately, we just missed out on the cut. Uh, so, there we go. That's life. Back to TV I went. <laughs> Is it harder working in movies? Well, that was sort of really just a, a very special movie because it was yeah. a big Hollywood production. And in a sense, it was easy in one sense because Disney fully financed it. So, you know, most of the time as a producer, I spend, you know, going to various markets trying to raise money uh, for TV. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of the money does come from various public agencies, but you also still have to obviously pitch it to a broadcast or broadcasters plus distributors. So uh, in this sense, Saving Mr. Panks was pretty easy. And it's, um, it's more hustle in movies, isn't it? That maybe if you, you've got to do a lot more meetings and it's a, yeah. it's a long tortured track to, to getting a deal. And well, that's right. Uh, and I think particularly now, I think it's so much harder. I, I don't really work in film now because Fremantle, essentially, I'm myself uh, focusing on TV drama sure. and, you know, we're having a good, good run, so that keeps me busy. But certainly film financing or raising finance for films because people aren't going to, you know, the cinema like they used to, sadly. Um, it's just a reflection again, I think, of the amazing impact that Netflix and others have had on our viewing habits. Um and because films aren't succeeding apart from the big blockbuster ones, studios, the Hollywood studios really aren't putting much money, so it gets harder to raise. Mm. I mean, there's still some fantastic films, of course, and I just went to the Sydney Film Festival recently, saw some <clears throat> some terrific films. So it's not to uh, say that film is languishing, but it's certainly a lot harder, I think. Yeah. 
Okay, just two quick things. Let's give uh, Jack Irish another plug. Now, you're getting the prime Sunday night slot, I think. Yes. Past the Mystery Road end. That's right. That's and you'll follow on. So yep. that... Um, that, as I'll say it again, that last episode of Mystery Road is a cracker. Right. So I think a lot of people will um, – that'll be uppermost in their minds, so they'll probably – they'll be looking for something equally exciting in that time slot, and I'm, I think they're going to get it. Yeah, well, I, I hope they're okay. I mean, I'm <laughs> pleased as punch with this current season of Jack Irish. And um, it's, you know, it's a cover-up conspiracy thriller with Jack, you know, doing his usual – dogged investigations, but there's also that great Aussie humour, that sort of slightly sardonic humour yeah. that's embedded in it as well. So it's both, you know, compelling as far as a crime thriller drama goes, but also entertaining. Yeah, and there's some lovely stuff between uh, Marta Dusseldorf and Guy Pearce, particularly in that, that first episode. That's of right, yeah. Some great uh, It's great seeing two actors at work sort of bouncing off each uh, other. The, the chemistry that's between them is fantastic and yeah. it's always good fun because there's that sort of niggle that they have as well. <laughs> they don't know whether to commit to one another or not. Um, um, so, yep. I don't know this, but I'll ask you, are they dropping all the episodes on iView? Do you know all they just do? I, them haven't, one I haven't been told, so, um, yeah, I don't but know. Anyway, if you miss it, um, depending on when you listen to this podcast, if you check iView, I think these days they're there for at least a month oh, after the, screening. It'll probably be well, they're even hours. longer now oh, because okay. generally ABC, SBS or, or, or the broadcasters want a longer um, role for their, you know, online platforms, yeah. catch-up platforms because, um, you know, invested in it. That's how people are watching it, you know. Finally, Ian Colley, what's up for you? What's Now, you've been so busy, but rate probably maybe no more. That's right. Um, if there's more Jack Irish, it's usually only every two years, so That's you right. probably won't be doing one next year at least. No. What, um, what are you going to do? Oh, I think I'll just go to Bahamas and, you know, just relax, get a suntan <laughs> or something, like a money. like a proper movie mogul, I think, I starts think smoking a cigar. Um, look, we, Dr. Doctor, as I mentioned, is in production. Um, and we have, we've got a, a show of SBS that's in early, de- sorry, in development. So th- this year is where we take stock and we're developing and we've got a, a slate of different programs for different broadcasters. Uh, but so there's plenty of stuff there. There's plenty of stuff there, and, and in particular, some are very much internationally focused, as sort of international co-production with a local partner here, as well as partners in the UK or Germany or elsewhere. So that's exciting as well. I think there is definitely a sort of trend towards more international co-productions. Partly Have you done local- much of that in the past? Um- um, Co-pros with not, money from other I have in documentary, but not in drama. Okay, so that'd be exciting. So that's that. exciting, and I think it's where you know, where we're heading a bit, partly because broadcasters need to spend their, you know, their drama dollars further. And if they can do it with, you know, assistance of a partner that works for both of them, then that can be a win-win. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Look, Ian, great uh, great to get you in the uh, Media Week studio. Thanks Thank for, you, for giving us your time. Uh, Jack Irish is the show. Watch out for it on the ABC, on ABC iView. Thanks, Ian. Great. Thanks, James.